I have a word I want to share with you guys. Lord, we just pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for this this morning. Thank you, God, for the work you've already done. Lord, that you are working through us and in us. God, just be with us as we hear and receive your word. Amen. Uh, worship is, you know, there's a lot of philosophy around how does worship function within the Sunday morning service? What is it doing? And what I kind of perceive it as is when we worship together, when we sing songs together, it's a, it's a process of opening our hearts up to God. It's a process of taking those things in our life, whether they are bondages, which is something we really prayed about and worshiped through this morning, whether they are um, accusations, whether they are obstacles in our lives, taking those things, setting them aside, and opening ourselves up to God and allowing God to minister to us. That's really what worship is for. The teaching of the word is for giving guidance. It's to kind of come in on the heels of worship and say, now that you're open to God, here's something that God's word says. Receive it. Take it in. Let it nurture you. Let it help you to grow. Let it put you uh, into the process of, of delving into God's word. The word of God is, is not... Um, uh, I don't, I don't attribute any magical properties to the Word of God. This is what I know about the Word of God. There is no other work, no other uh, revelation, which so clearly demonstrates to us who God is, what God wants from us, uh, what God is doing among us. If you want to know who God is, if somebody came to me and said, I want to know more about God, I'd say, well, there's a lot of things that you can do. You can pray, you can worship, you can talk to other believers, you can spend time in nature and get to know God that way. But if you want the surest, most clear image, picture of who God is, this is where you need to go. This is where you need to spend your time. So I would encourage you, if you uh, don't make Bible study, Bible reading a regular part of your uh, daily routine, Start small. Start real slow and get into it slowly. Uh, start with the Psalms. Read a Psalm every morning. Um, start your day off with a Psalm. There's, it takes maybe a minute or two to read some of the shorter Psalms. Start your day off quick with a good word from God. Uh, and don't feel like you have to, oh, I have to get on a Bible reading plan. I have to read, you know, six chapters a day and then three days into it, you're, you're 18 chapters behind, and you're like, ah, this is so discouraging. Start out slow and start out easy and and work your way into it because this word is a good word, uh, and it gives us good insights into who God is. So we're going to be reading today out of 1 Peter. Uh, You can go ahead and open up there if you'd like. We're in 1 Peter 2. We're in this series uh, going through a few different passages in Scripture where we're talking about uh, new life. What does it mean to have and experience new life? And two weeks ago, we started by talking about our past and acknowledging our past. Uh, and we said that we don't live in our past. We don't, we don't stay there. Our past is good because our past shows us what God has done in our lives. But we don't stay in our past. We build on our past. Can you imagine if when they were building this building, uh, when Stan and, uh, and Don and uh, everyone else was working on this building. Can you imagine if they built the foundations of this building, put up the framing for the bottom floor, and then said, wow, this is great. Let's just, right here is where we're going to stop. This is a great start. Wow, what, how, what wonderful work we've done here with this great foundation and bottom framing. Can you imagine what would happen if they did that? No, that would be silly, right? You build on it. 
You have a foundation. You have framing. And then you say, okay, next we're going to put in, next we're going to do the sides. Next we're going to do the top floor. Next we're going to do the roof. You, you have to build on it. And so that goes with, with us as well. If there's things in your life, places in your life that have been great, that you love, that you say, oh, God has moved so perfectly there, don't live there. Build on it. And if there's places in your life where you say, God, I have, I have a hurt in my past. I have a problem in my past. Find freedom there and move on. Don't allow the past to pull you, drag you back. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago. And today we're going to be talking about the present. Okay. And I'm going to read to you, this is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. I'm going to read it because um, this is not a translation you're going to find in print. This, I made this translation myself. So um, it's, this is the SRV, the Stephen Revised Version. So this is what it says. This is what the Word of God says. But you are a chosen community, a royal priesthood, a holy ethnicity, a people of his very own possession, so that you might proclaim everywhere the magnificent work of him who called you out of dark places into his breathtaking light. At one time, you were not a people, But now you are a people of God. At one time, you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. There's some context to this passage. Donna Gurr brought to our minds the the plight of persecuted Christians around the world last week. And this passage is written at a time when Christians were being persecuted. It was written to people who were experiencing those same kind of persecutions. From the government, from their neighbors... Um, So this passage has a historical context to it that's important to kind of understand. This is written to the persecuted church. Suddenly, when you are facing persecution, things that you thought were important become less important. The color of the roof of your church, not that important when you're undergoing persecution. Maybe it's important to us because we feel a bit, you know, easier to spend our time thinking about that. But things like fellowship, things like the word of God, things like meeting together, those sometimes become more precious, become of greater value. And you can imagine people going through persecution. What's the image that they're being conjured up as? What's the words that are being spoken about these Christians in their communities, in the public places of discourse? What kinds of things are being talked about them? We recently talked about... uh, I mean, recently, we recently, um, yesterday, there, it was the what, 25th anniversary of the Rwandan genocide, uh, which was a tragic time, as I'm sure that you remember that like I do. Um, words have an incredible amount of power. And words were really the things that fueled that genocide. There was a radio station dedicated to the genocide while it was happening. It was 100 days of genocide. And people would get on the radio and tell uh, those who were listening where the Tutsis were hanging out, uh, who was going to be targeted next, what village was going to be attacked next. And they would use specific words to describe these people. And one of the words is cockroach. That was the word that was designated. That was the sort of repeated word that Hutus used about Tutsis during this genocide. And that words have incredible amount of power dehumanizing people 
is a powerful, powerful thing. Once you stop thinking of that person as a person, you start thinking of them as a cockroach. You, it's hard to kill a person. It's easy to kill a cockroach. So words have an incredible amount of power. And think about the ways that these Christians are being talked about in their, in their uh, time and in their day. So the Romans called them atheists. That was a big thing. Romans called them atheists. And the reason was because they didn't celebrate the Roman gods. They didn't worship the Roman gods. So they were atheists. And atheists were, uh, you know, these rebellious, sort of harmful to society types. Anarchists, we would probably call them in today's world. Words were being used about these people. So listen when Peter writes to them. He doesn't start with dismantling the harmful things that were said about them. He starts out by telling them who they are. I want to tell you who you are today. You are a chosen community. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy ethnicity. You are a people of God's own possession. And although we're not experiencing persecution in our own lives, uh, in terms of violence, oftentimes this world and the enemy, and sometimes even ourselves, begin to say lies, tell us lies about who we are, about who you are. Listen to what the word of God says. You are a chosen community. God has selected you. You, are a des- you have a designated purpose in life. This world may cast you aside, but you are a chosen community. You're a royal priesthood. Don't come to me saying, I'm not equipped to do this. If you have received Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and there's no greater power than that, In the Old Testament, you hear about the initiation rites of priests, the sons of Aaron. First they're washed, then they're anointed with oil and consecrated and set aside for priesthood. And that was what the process was that they went through to transform from just ordinary priestly people into priests. Well, brothers and sisters, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to wait until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to, be, to receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. So wherever you are in your walk, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. There's no greater anointing for that. You've been set aside to do God's work. That's right. That's right. Yeah, thank you, Mike. So the Holy Spirit rests on you. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy ethnicity. What does that mean? You know what it means? It means you're a peopled people. You have a family with you. There's people around you. No one in the church is a lone island. Don't think of yourself like that, please. Some people feel like, I have to go through this. I was just talking with uh, somebody in our community recently who he's going through a very hard time and uh and he feels like there's there he doesn't he's cut off from his family and he's sort of uh lost and adrift in our community i said to him you know what the lie is you got to do this on your own the lie is you somehow have to make this or break this that is a complete lie and i and i apologize for the fact that that lie is actually part of our society unfortunately 
Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Put your life together. You could do it if you try hard enough. That's, that is absolutely not true. There are times when you need people around you to rally around you, to believe in you, to help you up, to encourage you and pray for you. You cannot do it alone. If you think you can do it alone, just wait. Just wait because it's going to come to a place where you cannot. At that point, you come join us in our holy ethnicity, our holy people group, our peopled people. You have brothers and sisters here. When we come to Christ, we don't just receive a Savior. We receive mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, a community together, a people of his very own possession. You belong to God. You belong to God. That means you have value. That means you have worth. You have privilege before God. You belong to him. This is who the church is. This is who you are. As a part of this body. And wherever you are in your walk. You know, people say, I'm far from God. All right, that's fine. But God is close to you. Wherever you are in your walk today. Being a Christian means being a part of the church. All of us together. Us here, our Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters, who I guess they're that way, who met yesterday, uh, our Baptist brothers and sisters, our Anglican brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters enduring persecution. All of us today, we are a part of the church, the bride of Christ. And like I love to point out, Christ has only one bride, one church. That's you. That's us, together. Hmm. We're belonging to God. A people of his very own possession, so that you might proclaim everywhere the magnificent work of him who has called you out of dark places into his breathtaking light. So that you might proclaim. So that. We're a so that sort of community, folks. We don't just get to assume an identity, but with our identity comes a commission. So that. God just doesn't tell you who you are currently. He tells you who you are and puts you on a, pl- a path somewhere so that you might proclaim. Now, how that looks is different, I'm sure, to everybody. But you have a so that in your life. God has a purpose for your life so that you might proclaim. We don't get to be just a lazy church that sits around and allows the world around us to go to hell so that. God has equipped you so that the kingdom of God might advance through you and through your life. Yeah. So that. So we are a holy people. So that we might proclaim God's goodness to this world. At one time you were not a people. And now you are a people of God. At one time, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the amazing thing about the church, about who you are. Before you came here, you might be terrible enemies with the person sitting next to you. There might be no reason why you people should be even in the same room as one another. Your personalities might clash. Historically, one people might destroy another people. And the world looks at us and says, why why are you all together? You have become one people. 
Through the power of God, you have become one people. That's where we find reconciliation in the church. That's why we find community in the church. And let me tell you something. There's some things that we disagree on in this room. There are some things we may bitterly disagree on in this room. I am not interested in having a church where everybody agrees with each other. Having a church where everybody believes the exact same thing. I'm interested in having a church that's united around Jesus Christ. Now, now who Jesus is, yeah, amen, amen. Now, who Jesus is, we know who Jesus is. We read scripture, we know who Jesus is. So I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I don't care, I don't care what you vote for, honestly, I don't care. Now, may, I have my, my own political views, and maybe you and I could have a discussion about that one day, sure. But I'm not going to stand at the door and have a sign out that says only certain people are allowed here. In fact, and I'll tell you this, if we had a church full of Republicans, we would be missing something. We would. We would be missing something. If we had a church full of Democrats, we would be missing something. That's a problem in the church. When we start to make churches around certain types of people, and God bless them, I know, I know that their ambitions are good, but having a biker church, brothers and sisters, you're missing the old ladies who bake cookies. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You have a skater church, you're missing a whole generation of people. So think about that. Think about the people around you. We don't have multiple generations in this church because we think it's nice that there's old people here. We have multiple generations in this church because we need old people here. We need their wisdom. <laughs> that's why you're here, but that's not why I want you here, Donna. I want you here because I need your voice. We don't have an all-male church. We don't have an all-female church. Because we need each other. And not just as token women. Not just as token men. That's why, by the way, I hope you understand, I will not allow women to preach on Women's Day and Mother's Day. I'll probably preach those days. You know why? Because there's a lie that says that's Women's Sunday. That's the Sunday you have women preach. No, we need to hear women's voices. I want to know how you read the Bible. I want to know how your experiences as a woman bears on your conviction. I want to know what Jesus looks like through your eyes. Because if all I have is Jesus through my eyes, then I have a limited understanding of who Jesus is. Now you talk about a Jesus who's not in Scripture, okay, well then that's a different Jesus. That's a problem. But if you are talking about the Jesus of Scripture, I want to hear it. And the words you use may be different than mine. But that's the whole point. I need you. I need you here. Okay? That's what the church is all about. That's when the church does its best work. In fact, the, uh, almost every revival, including the Pentecostal revival in 1906, began as a movement which was multi-generational, multi-ethnic, many genders. This, it, it began that way. There's a famous picture that I didn't think about to bring because I, I wasn't thinking I was going to be preaching this. But if you could see it, it's a picture of the original church leadership of the Azusa Street Mission, which is where Pentecostalism is a movement. By the way, one in every third Christian in the world today is Pentecostal or charismatic. Did you know that? One in every third Christian. That's like, uh, what, 300 million people, something like that, are Pentecostal charismatic. 
And the original leadership of that church in 1906 that really sparked that uh, revival uh, is led by a black man who has only one eye. So you have a black man who has a disability. Uh, His right-hand person was a white woman. Uh, And in the picture, you see uh, one older white man. He he has a big gray beard, looks like he might be 70, over 70 years old. And on his lap is a 12-year-old white girl. And behind them are two black women. And you have, so you have multi-generational. You have many genders. You have many ethnicities. That's how the Holy Spirit moves. That's when we do our best. When we include all peoples with us. Yeah, amen. So when I say you are a holy ethnicity, I don't mean you are a specific ethnicity particularly, but together we are the people of God. We are a peopled people. Together. That is who you are, church. You have a family here. Once you were not a people, you were divided by all sorts of different kinds of stuff. And this world is so divided today. So divided between so many different peoples. Over so many different ideas. Man, it seems like you can't have, it, you can't have one idea without having a whole army of people on the other side of that idea. Chevy truck drivers and Ford truck drivers. Man, I, you guys got to work something out together, man. There's, there's hunters. There's bow hunters and gun hunters. I know because my uncle is a bow hunter. And let me tell you, all oh, those gun hunters. Yeah. There's fly fishers and reels, you know. There's all sorts of different kinds of people in this world. It seems like you could have an army on each side. Once you were not a people. People said, I don't see how those people could see eye to eye. But now you are a people. Because you're God's people. That's who you are today. That's your present condition church, you are the people of God. I want to go ahead and invite, uh, Debbie, would you mind running downstairs and invite the kids up for communion? We like having communion with the kids up here. Communion is the time at which we get to celebrate what it means to be a church together. It's one of our earliest practices as a church. And it goes back to uh, Jesus. Um, if you, if you don't remember, Jesus came into uh, Jerusalem on what we're going to be celebrating next week, which is Palm Sunday. And he came in, and people were singing that song we were singing earlier, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means come save us. They were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. And there was a great expectation on Palm Sunday. Next week we'll be celebrating a great expectation that as Jesus enters the streets of Jerusalem, something's going to happen. People were beginning to throw around the word Messiah. Jesus could be the Messiah, could be the Christ, the anointed one. And in their understanding, from their point of view, from their perspective, what that meant was the Messiah was the one who was going to free them from Roman rule, cast off the Romans. And in fact, if you read the literature, there was a lot of literature written around the time of Jesus. And any time they talked about the Messiah, it was explicitly linked to the defeat of the Roman Empire and defeat of the Roman army. And Jesus comes on Sunday, and they lay down palm fronds in front of him. And what you might not know is that palm fronds were a symbol of the rebellion, the successful Jewish rebellion of 120 years earlier, the Maccabean Revolt. That was their symbol, was a palm frond. So when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, they lay palm fronds at his feet in anticipation of his rebellion, 
in anticipation of his revolt, things take a very ugly turn. When it suddenly becomes very apparent to everyone that Jesus has no intention of leading a revolt. Jesus has no intention of addressing Rome, in fact, at all. Jesus doesn't seem to do anything at all about Rome. And so things, go ahead kids, come on up. Things begin to accelerate and by Friday, the people are whipped up against Jesus. And they want his head. Hi kids. (laughs) And so Jesus sits down and he has a a meal. Go ahead, you can sit over here if you want. He has a meal with his friends. So he has, Jesus has 12 friends, right? Do you guys know these 12 friends? Do you know what they're called? Disciples. Hey, here you go. They have, he has 12 disciples. Yeah, good for you. And he, um, so he sits down, he has, a, he has some food with them, right? And in the food, in the meal, he has bread and he has wine. We have grape juice. Is that okay? Okay. And, and he has bread. And he picks up the bread and he breaks it in half. Can you break this for me, Jordan? Can you tear it in half? got to really rip into it. I know it's hard. Good job. Yeah, good job. Do you want to tear that in half? Do you want to tear that up for me a little bit? Tear off a piece of that? Do you want to tear a chunk off of that? He tears bread, and he says this. There you go. Good. Here, let James tear some too. Here, James, you tear this up. He says, this is my body that's been broken for you. He says, when you eat it, think about me. My broken body that paid for your sin. And then after the meal, he took some, uh, some wine. This is grape juice. And he lifted it up and he said, this, this is my blood. This is the blood of a new covenant. Take it and drink it and remember me in which I've done for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray for this. Hi, little girl. We're going to pray for the bread and the juice. And then we're going to invite... <laughs> Thank you. That reels that. Then we're going to invite people to come up. After we pray over this, feel free to come up. Take some juice. Take some bread. We have some gluten-free crackers. Bring it back to your seat. And I want you to take it uh, together with somebody else. But it doesn't have, you know, don't wait until everybody's done. You don't have to wait until everybody's done. Take it with one other person at least. And when you take it, just, you just remind them, this is what Jesus did for you. Okay? Can you guys help me pray? Is that okay? Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then who wants to say amen? Maybe everybody can say it. Is that okay? All together? Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then everybody says amen. Ready? Okay. Dear Jesus, we think about your sacrifice. We think about how you died so that we could live. We think about your body. We think about your blood. Jesus, you loved us so much. You didn't want us to be apart from you. You wanted us to be close to you like a close friend or like a mom or like a dad. You wanted us to be so close that we could talk with you. And you knew that we needed your help to do that. And you knew that the only way we could do that was through your sacrifice. So thank you for that. Thank you that now we can come close to you. We can be close to you like a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good job. We have what's called, yeah, amen. So, do the kids get some? You can. We have what's called an open table. That means that anybody can come up and receive communion, even if you're not a part of this church. Um, the only prerequisite is come hungry. That means come with hunger in your tummy 
or hunger in your mind or hunger in your spirit, come expecting to receive something from God. Jordan, did you want to say something or ask something? Maybe later. Apple juice is actually angel's blood. That's intense. Right, let's go ahead and take communion together. Thank you for that insight, Jordan. I appreciate that very much.